This right. is an eight iron, and it's a dead shank. Wow. Way right. Oh, takes a, a hop off the path. You gotta be kidding me. Very tough pitch shot right here. You gotta hit it into the hill. One hop up and bite, and it's in. Kind of like that. Well, this is a, a a great time to kind of get into. Uh, I know something that uh, you like studying and talking about golf course architecture. And my my first question is, when did it all start going wrong? In in, in what era? kind of in your sense, did it start going wrong? And, and why do you think, I'm sure it had the best of intentions of let's do this, but what went sideways in golf course architecture um, kind of during those dark ages? And I'll kind of let you explain where you think the dark ages sort of started. So it's important to know, like there's, there's was good work at all periods of time, but just like, I, I think people, there's really bad trends of building architecture also in the world. So, you know, there's there's a lot of, I think golf architecture, building architecture also correlate really well with like societal trends, right? So we're in an artisan craftsman type period. You know, people like craft stuff, look at craft beer. And, and that's why we're in this craft culture now. But I think like where people d- describe the dark ages would be, you would you would focus in on post World War II to probably nineteen to two thousand is when it kind of started to turn out of there. And if you think about what the country what was happening in the country, you know, it was mass development, mass expansion. If you look at housing, you know, there were like these mass cookie cutter uh, residential pro- developments, right? And and what happened was golf. Golf courses were being built for reasons other than for golf. They became a moneymaker because you could put pack houses around them. And instead of finding land and building a golf course, it was we're finding land to build houses. And here are the best play, the best parts of the land that we're going to put the most expensive houses on. And all the rest, well, the golf architect can go find out figure out how to build houses around that. So it's not all like a, you know, an architect driven issue. You know, there were a lot of other things and, and, you know, those architects that worked in that period made a ton of money because there's never been a higher demand for golf courses. Um, there's never been more golf courses built, but you know, with it came constraints and, and, you know, with one thing you, the more you get into, the architectural world, the more you realize how, how important owners are in the whole process and in the end product of a, of a golf design. Like, you know, an architect can be the greatest architect in the world, but if they have a, a terrible owner, like that doesn't let them, you know, do what they do well, the golf course probably isn't going to turn out as well as it could. You know, you could hire the best architect in the world, you give them a bad owner and it's not going to turn out, you know, as well as it should. Uh, so I think those are important things. But one thing I always think about is like, you know, like anything, like technology culture develops over time, right? And with golf course architecture, we had this great, the golden age of architecture would be from 1910 till 1930, where we had this this great 
collection of golf architects and they were learning from each other. A lot of them weren't necessarily professionals at the time. They were amateur golfers who, who got into it. And, and what happened was there was this evolution of ideas and, and the craft of golf architecture continued to advance and advance. And then we ran into the Great Depression and everything stopped. And then we had World War II. So we had this 15 year period where nothing happened. So it, most importantly, there was no mentorship or tutelage that was happening where the young architects were learning and advancing ideas from the, you know, Perry Maxwell's of the world, the Langford Moreau's, the, you know, the Alistair McKenzie's. It, it just halted, right? And then when we came back, these new architects had new equipment with earth-moving capabilities, and they hadn't gone through the same process that their predecessors had where there was this just advancement of information. It was almost like a whole fresh start. And, you know, if you if you compare society in the 50s to the golf architecture in the 50s, it, it makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of mass production. There's the industrialization of America in that period. Um, you know, it, it, the, the building architecture was not really memorable, and a lot of the golf architecture wasn't that memorable. I'm, I'm, I love Golden Age, Ar- Ar- Golden Age architecture. Uh, I'm a huge Seth Rainer fan. I just, you know, appreciate everything that he designed. And still to this day, it's remarkable they've held up uh, the test of time, especially like if you go to Blue Mound or whatnot, and they're, you know, as they're bringing it back, it keeps getting better, you know, as they kind of keep restoring it and making it more, you know, to the original side of it. And what do you think because I have an idea, but I love your perspective, but what do you think made that era about design, just the actual golf course design so great? And it still holds up today where you, you know, you go and play a, a classic golden age architecture or Yeaman's hall out in, in Charleston or something. And it's just, it's still spectacular and it holds up and it's wonderful. And it's a, you know, how did it last that long and, and why, what did they have in that water or something back then, whatever they were drinking to still, to, to make it as great as the, some of those designs were and they've, they've held up over the test of, you know, stand the test of time. I think because they couldn't do so much, right, they couldn't go out and create something from nothing that it, it forced them to really be simple like it, the it, less is more a lot of times with with anything like home you could compare it to home decor even like you know some a lot of times less is more right and when you had that all of a sudden that earth moving capability and you know the ability to go into a low laying swamp and build a golf course like you know it was this it, you 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 didn't use the land and appreciate the natural features that the golf course gave you as much and um i mean seth rayner was like the maximalist of the golden age like he moved more earth him and like langford moreau uh charles banks moved more earth than anybody but at the same time they had very limited capacity that they could do that um because of you know the equipment they were using so i think it was that and another thing i think about all the time is that a lot of guys in the golden age you know they were very affluent people who didn't didn't do architecture for a profession, right? So like your George Thomas's of the world, A.W. Tillinghast was, became, you know, a, did it for money later in his career. But when they all started, 
they were just trying to d- build great golf courses and there was this free flow of information because they weren't competing against each other as as it became more and more of a business and and it became more and more of a a place you could make a lot of money what happens is the architects became much more siloed and the that spread of information was reduced and and you know people weren't learning from other people because they were afraid to share their ideas with somebody else they might steal them if that makes sense yeah like yeah, it does like pine valley is the greatest course in the world and that was the biggest collaboration of any golf course probably ever built you know like every great architect of the golden age went to pine valley and did some work and left crump with some ideas and crump sorted through them and picked out his favorite ones of all these great architects. It, it was a, you know, it's like anything is, you know, it, you can have a great idea and, you know, obviously it, somebody else can say something to you and you can be like, oh, I didn't even think about that, right? You know, and I think about that all the time with stuff like, I, you know, people say things to me and I'm like, oh, I never thought about that. That's a great idea, you know, and it, it, it adds to your idea, right, in your vision, so I think that's the thing – that's a big thing that people very rarely talk about is how the profession of golf course architecture really uh, stunted the spread of information, ideas, and the learning in the field. When did it hit you uh, through your evolution in golf of – I'm assuming maybe at one point in time you had a certain idea of what makes a good you know, good or great golf course. And was there a moment or a course you played or something that happened to you where you're just like – Oh, I get it now. And what I thought was great is is good, but this is now great. Uh, so I I grew up caddying, like you know that was from like age twelve on. I was I, every weekend, every every weekend when I was really young, and then every summer, like I was caddying, working back room, and I worked at a really great club, Knollwood in um, in Lake Forest. And then I grew up in Lake Bluff and, and Shore Acres was there and, you know, I'd play, I'd get to play there every once in a while. And, you know, I grew up playing Lake Bluff Golf Club, which is the Muni in town. And you just, you just knew there was something different about the other two places in Lake Bluff, um, which is your just your standard Muni. And, and I think one of the things about caddying is you start to like, you, your job is to get somebody around a golf course. Right. So you just naturally start to understand the architecture, especially when you're caddying for like the architecture matters so much for for your lower trajectory players, your seniors and your and your women, because they can't spin, hit the ball that high shot in and spin it. You know, you really have to avoid hazards with them um, and you have to play. If you're in the wrong position, you have a bad angle. You got to get them somewhere. Sometimes it's not aiming at the flag. Hit it short and right of it so you can chip it on there. And you start to really understand strategy and golf architecture being a caddy because you're just trying to you're trying to get people around and not and not have to do all uh, rake a ton of bunkers. You know, right, right, right. It's survival, <laughs> right? How, how easy you know make this as easy as you can and get a nice tip, right? Makes perfect yeah. sense. Exactly. And we, we used to play a trap game. Uh, so we, you know, when, when we were carrying doubles at, at Knollwood, if, uh, if, if one of my players went in the bunker, I owed, I owed the other caddy money. And if, if one of their caddy, if one of their players went in the bunker, they owed me money. So that would get dicey. And you always wanted to avoid bunkers. Yeah. Time consuming, a lot more work. Yeah. I mean, get, the, get, get the player in front of the green. Hopefully let him chip it uphill and try to one putt it, right? Let's make this easy, Mr. Smith. 
Exactly. I mean, and you just learn how how stupid so many people play. You know, they just they just cost themselves so many shots hit, trying to hit shots that they have literally zero chance of pulling off. Absolutely no. So you you had some pretty good pedigree then growing up to see some pretty good golf courses, and then that sort of then you, you had a pretty good foundation to kind of understand this is really good or this I enjoy playing this kind of golf. I like this kind of golf, or this doesn't make sense to me. Then it kind of transferred from there. I would assume. Yeah, you know, I was uh, I was really cool, and I used to read uh, Golf Club Atlas. You know, like all the other cool kids did, um, and uh-huh. in, co- in college, you know, that was. Yeah. So uh, I started. I got into. I got into reading about it, and you know, I didn't get to see a lot of the stuff, though. And I think that's the toughest thing for for with golf architecture in America is it's just so hard to see the stuff. You know, when I started the fried egg, I still I hadn't seen a ton of really good stuff. Like I, you know, playing amateur golf in Illinois, you get around, you get to play a lot of great places because of you know tournaments. But you know, I I hadn't seen a lot of the great courses across the country and i think that's one of the toughest things is that you know the the very best architecture is available to so few in our country so with the travels and in the courses you've gotten to play what's what's maybe two or three that completely lived up to the hype and you were just this place i could play it every day it's fantastic and then it was there a couple that you were you know they're all great golf courses but were there some that or one or two maybe that didn't quite live up to what you thought it might be? Um, yeah, I, obviously. I mean, the great, the the really great golf courses are all really great, right? You know, like they're, they're awesome spots. Like, I mean, Cypress Point is like one of the coolest places in the world, right? Um, I mean, it, the thing about Cypress, I think about all the time, is like, I think the best holes on the golf course are the ones that you never see pictures of. Um, the ocean holes are absolutely spectacular, but. But the land and the golf back in the in the woods is just unbelievable. Um, it, National Golf Lakes is incredible. Sand Hills is an incredible place. Um, as far as not living up to the hype, I mean, it's hard. I I I generally kind of know. I I have a list of like a personal list of places I'm trying to go see. And um, we don't want to sabotage you here, right? Yeah, you don't put it out. Well, no, no, no. I but I if I know somewhere I'm probably not going to enjoy that's really highly regarded, I just don't go. Um, I've got so many places that I need to go see. Uh, I'd say, you know, I I I don't know. I I think that a lot of the stuff uh, people are, you know, they're doing a lot of great work around, and and you know, I I I don't think I've I I really try and set myself up to be disappointed right if if that makes sense i uh i try and i try and go places where i know i'm gonna enjoy for the most part um i that's a good question i've never really thought about where i've been disappointed um i you know i get disappointed the thing that kills me the most is is seeing is when when places don't know what they have right when when you go and you see a uh, a golf course like that is say a municipal that's got something that's really valuable and you know can be really great but the people that work there don't believe in it right and and I think that's the biggest problem with, with in golf today is is that is that we have a lot of really great golf courses that everybody can play but but the people running them don't know that they're great um and and don't and 
And that's, that's the thing. And, and I think that's where I get, I feel the most disappointment is, is when I go play places that could be really great golf courses that, that just, that aren't in a situation that lets their golf course shine. Did, did, was there one down in was it Kankakee that you found? Oh, I, you... I didn't. I didn't find that one, but that that one's unbelievable. Kankakee Elks, uh, it's yeah, just, uh, it's utterly spectacular. Is it? Do they know what they have there with the history? Is it? Because oh. I, I never really heard of it until I, I read what you said. I'm like, oh my gosh, it looks fantastic. The bones of that golf course look fantastic. So it's a. Um, it's a length from Moreau design. They did, they built Lawsonia, which yeah. is utterly amazing. Nice. Um, and this golf course, it, it's in Kankakee, so it's it's tough. It's not the best economic area, but at the same time, I would go down there. I go down there a, a decent amount. I I haven't gone. I didn't go last year, but the year before, I went down probably six or seven times. One of the reasons I go down there is they let me bring my dog, so I I like. It, I like bringing my dog to the golf course. It kills two birds with one stone, and um, and it's like twenty bucks, and it's spectacular. It, it could be, if they restored it, it, would be one of the five best golf courses in Illinois. And the you know it's got some history. Joe Lewis used to play there because he he trained when he was the heavyweight champion of the world. He trained in Kankakee. So he played there, and uh, it's just it, it's got spectacular greens, incredible greens. Like they they will blow your mind, and uh, you know a lot of a lot of architects have gone and, and saw saw that place, and it's all still there. There's one green that's missing that they let grow over, but if if you go play it, the um, the fifth hole, par three, it, they have the current green plays right up along the woods, but if you just turn to your right. You'll see the original green just to your right. I always just play a shot to the 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 green that's just sitting in high grass and play there. Then I go to the next tee. It's it's funny. It's what we talked about. Like the 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 pro, golf pro there changed it. I guess they were getting too much play or something, and it was too busy on that one green. So they had to build an alternate green, and then they ended up keeping the alternate green rather than the original green. Uh, well, at least they probably know what the original green could sort of be, guys. You know, if they ever oh. restored the thing back, right? It wouldn't be that hard to, in theory I, to fix it. Oh, it's just sitting there. All you have to do is get a mower out there, mow it down, and probably replant replant the grass, the gra- the green grass. It's it's just so yeah, it, it's just sitting there. It's I, you in some of my pictures, you can just see it because it is a really built up green site. It's like a volcano green. So it's really built up, and you can see all the the features. the The bunker must, in front must have been twenty feet deep. It, it was it's an incredible. Oh yeah, it, that's the spot. The cool thing too about that place is like for Chicagoans, for people in the Midwest, is that when it's fifty in the city, when it's fifty in the suburbs, if you go down there, it's sixty. So it's like it goes from cold golf to like really enjoyable spring or fall golf. I'm going to have to get down there. I mean, I love Lynx of Lawsonia. I mean, I love that golf course. And I'm going to have to get down there this year and road trip and see it. Um, yeah, and they're just in an unfortunate situation where they, they don't have the money to do anything, right? Right. And I think that's that's where a lot of these places get into is where they have they just don't have the money or somebody that understands what they can do on a, on a shoestring budget to get it to where it needs to be or where it could ask, be. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
I was going to ask you, too, about the uh, the Yoke with Doke podcast. I absolutely love when Tom is on with you and the conversations. Um, you know, he's a fantastic guest. I mean, the, the resume speaks for itself. Love his designs. What, what have you learned about, you know, maybe one or two of the biggest things you've taken away from golf architecture of spending time with him? Oh, man. I mean, that's, like, really hard to distill the one or two. He's He's, he's so smart. I mean, the way... I think that I guess I would say that I I've learned a ton. One of the things that I think is he's he's talked about a lot is like the idea of routing a golf course is like it's not about the spectacular hole that everybody it, it, that everybody will fall in love with, right? It's about finding the best collection of holes cuz a lot of they all have to tie together, and a lot of times the um, that spectacular hole will require you to do a lot of different things to get there and get out of there. And if you have a bad hole going into it and a bad hole coming out of it, is that hole really spectacular? Other than, uh, rather than having you know three really good holes, you know, it, it, like that type of stuff. Uh, I'd say I think like one of my favorite. Tom Doak lines was he ta- he was talking about contours and he's like you know I just wish and I think this is something that every like casual golfer can take away is like oh I got such a bad bounce there or, you know I, I got totally screwed by the core it's like there's a right and a wrong side to every contour you know and if right, you're on right, the right. if you're on one the, way or the other exactly and if you're on the wrong side of it you're in a really bad spot because and you shouldn't have hit it there right because you're you're everything's going to go away but if you were on the other side of that contour it would help you get it really close to the hole right you know if you think about like just like a mound say a mound was on the right front of the green right if you miss over short left that mound's going to could funnel you right into the to a pin on the right side but if you miss short right and you have to go over that mound you're screwed but you shouldn't have hit it short right if you would have hit it short left you'd be fine right yeah, and, I, and I'm fortunate enough to one of the I remember it out at Dismal River Club where where Tom did the red course there, and but you can see he, he's designed it so well that you know where I mean you know where you can go and where you can't. Yes, right. It's not like it's it's for lack of a better word tricked up or something. It's exactly what you're saying. Like I'm thinking of the holes that I I mean you know where you where you can hit it and you know where you can't and he puts you in tough spots if you make the wrong decision but if you hit a good golf shot he doesn't punish good golf shots you know what is it it's very what, fair one of the things he does so well that's just amazing is how he he leaves sides of the green whenever i play tom doak course and i see a side of the green with that's completely hazardless like there's no bunker there's nothing there's just grass i know that i don't want to be there because a lot of times what he does is he tricks people. He'll put a very intimidating hazard on the right side of a green, and the left side will be nothing but short grass. But that short grass, that, that's the worst place you could be, and he'll just kill you with contour. And it's, it's an incredible – I think one of the other things that is underrated about Tom is that, like, his golf courses – are so playable for for the regular guy, but I find them very, very challenging for high-level players. And I think he does, he gets kind of flack from some people about his greens, but he 
I think he understood where the game was going, and there's no architect whose greens give me more fear with a wedge in my hand than Tom's greens. Like I, I sit, I look at like shots, and I have a wedge. I have 110 yards, and I think to myself constantly, like, God, I really have to hit a good shot here, or else I'm going to have a hard two putt. Yeah, absolutely. Like it, it requires to to make birdies. It requires precision. Right, you have to hit the right golf shot. But like I'm thinking, you know, for higher handicaps who play out in the red course, they find it enjoyable. There's usually enough width off the tee. Mm-hmm. There's usually kind of a, a spot to miss it that they don't have to carry it. But you know, you you, you to, to, to go low or to you know to make a few birdies, you have you have to hit some some precise shots, and you in and you have to uh, you have to kind of earn them. Right? There's there's not a whole lot of Oh, half-assing it and getting away with it, but that's why I find the golf course is fascinating to play over. No, it's never you know it's it's I'm always learning something. I'm always maybe finding something a little bit different. It's uh, gosh, the golf course is so good that he built out there. Um, mm-hmm. Have you ever got a chance to go play that one? I haven't. Yet? I haven't played Dismal River yet. I'm hoping to get back to Nebraska this year and see it. Yeah, you really should. And, and the Nicholas course there is really good as well. But it's a nice little trip with Sand Hills. But you, if you know. There's so many wild, wild horse too. Awesome, yeah. It's you can't believe that's the town Muni. That's -hmm. like the town Muni, and it's just fantastic. So, yeah, no, it's it's endless, right? With his design, like you just never get bored of playing it. You know, different pin positions can make different. You know, they just don't play the same way, especially out there with the wind and where you can put a pin. Thinking like how I play these different holes. He's just, it's it's just brilliant. He just did a fantastic job with that track. Something he said to me once, which I thought was really interesting, was he he studied the uh, the way courses are rated and in, in the slope rating, and he tried to figure out a way that he could make it easier for for the regular golfer, but still really challenging for the for like the better than scratch player. And he realized like the way they rate and and score these courses on difficulty, they don't take into account like green shape. So he. On long holes, he likes to use long and narrow greens because he knows that really good players don't miss their yardages ever. So if I'm going to hit a six iron into a green, my misses are going to be right and left, but the right yardage. So he makes the the greens narrow on long holes because he knows that that 15, 18 handicaps never going to hit the green in two anyways. Right, right. So so then also now I'm missing a lot of greens because of the design of the green being narrow, where I miss right and left a lot. And then on short holes, he makes greens uh, shallow and wide, because, you know, uh, that 18 handicaps dispersion chart is is a big circle. They miss long, they miss short, they miss right and left, but short and wide, like, they're going to hit the most amount of greens that way. You know, shallow and wide because they're going to yeah. miss right and left. But really good players with wedges in their hand miss long and short more than they miss right and left. I agree with that. And I'm thinking about the holes that are like that. You're exactly right of how we designed the red course at Dismal. That's, I mean, there's variations of it, but that's spot on. And then that's where those little shots give you the heebie-jeebies with a wedge, right? Because you're exactly. like, oh, God, if this thing goes over, I'm dead. But yet, you know, it's a, it's a go time because I've got – you know, gap wedge from 115, like I should be able to hit this in a 10-foot circle. Exactly. And all of a sudden he's walk off with a six. Like, oh, my God, how that – no, 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 no. 
done. So it's it's interesting because and that's something that like you'll play these courses and you look at like the slope and you're like, wait, if this is only like one twenty five slope, and it's like this is so hard. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's, it's it's like it, he underst he understands it, it he understands how to how to make to blend it where it's so fun for everybody and and fun for I think fun for a great golfer is being really. Being stimulated, and that's what his golf courses do. They stimulate your brain. You really have to think. And, and, it, and like I said, I, I find it where you don't feel like you're playing the same course all the time. His pin positions can make you play the holes different ways. Do you go for it? Do you maybe lay? Like, there's a lot of thinking to me going on in his golf courses. Yeah, and, and yeah, and as a better player, that's what you want. And but then for the 18 handicap, you're not looking for golf balls every hole. Right. So if you ask the average, uh, you know, between the Nicholas and the Doak, way more people at Dismal, for the most part, like the Doak because it's more playable for for the higher handicap. The Nicholas is just tough. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just hard. So you're exactly right. Like the 15 handicaps, 10 handicaps, 12, they, they seem to like that golf course more than than Mr. Nicholas's design. And I get it. You know, the Nicholas one's just hard. It's just hard. It's great. I love it, but it's hard. It'd be hard for a 15, 12 handicap to go shoot a good round out there. Uh, what Tom designed, everybody at the club can completely use it, and you get way more, uh, you know, how was your round today? I struggled on the Nicholas. Had a nice round at the Doak on the red course. So it's exactly what you're saying. He can hit all of the, you know, he can take a full membership and make kind of everybody happy. And it's it's great for the, for the low handicap player, and the mid handicap, high handicapper can still enjoy their day out there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I, I it, yeah, he's he's good. He's good at what he does. Well, you ready to finish up with some uh, underrated, overrated? Oh man, you turn turn this. I haven't done this in a while. <laughs> we had to bring it back, right? I mean, I'm having you on. We got to do a little underrated, <laughs> overrated. All right, all right. We'll finish up with this. Um, the difficulty in putting with Poa in the greens. This comes up on the West Coast. TV coverage keeps hammering it. How tough Poa is in greens. Is Poa in greens in difficulty underrated or overrated in your opinion? I think it's I think it's really overrated for for their talking like they are talking about the Poa at Rancho Park at, at the end of a, a Wednesday when they've had you know a full tee sheet all day. They're talking about like some of the greatest places in the world, Poe, Poeana. Um, and, and when Poe is good, it's like the best putting surface in the world to putt on. So I'd say that's definitely they overrate the difficulty of putting on Poe. The Players' Championship and the TPC Sawgrass Golf Course coming up. You know, there's talk, is this a major? Should it be a major, not a major? Is that event, in your opinion, overrated or underrated? Um. From their perspective, it's way overrated. I, I, I think Riviera is a better event that they run every year. Uh, it's hard. I think Sawgrass, Sawgrass is is underrated for. Uh, I'd say overrated on on both both ends. Going overrated. Yeah. Last one I got for you here: caddies on the PGA Tour and their impact on the players' success or failure. I'm going to say, man, this is a tough one. I I would say underrated. I think a good caddy, a good caddy player, like I don't think anybody's winning out there with a bad caddy player relationship, right? 
I kind of with you on that one. Right. I mean, you got to have a yeah. good good because you get in those situations and you just have to have the person saying the right stuff to you when you when you're running a little hot because if they say the wrong stuff to you, it just makes it worse. Well, or you look at the young guys who come out with potential and, you know, Justin Thomas takes Jimmy Johnson, right? Well, I mean, he's doing that for a reason because mm-hmm. Jimmy Johnson can caddy. So I think it has a, I think it has a pretty good influence. I'm with you on that one. I think, I think up a real professional tour caddy, especially to a younger player can add a lot to that bottom line. Yeah. And it's hard. Like I think people like underrate how difficult it is when you've got like, especially now, like if you go and try and caddy for Matt Wolf, or where they're like a very low spin, high speed player, is like you can get flyers from anywhere with those guys, and like the really good caddies know how to deal with guys based off of how they play. Like I mean, caddying is a a real art, and the guys that are really good at it on tour are, you know, they they. They're extraordinary at their craft. Well, I can't thank you enough for coming on. I've been looking forward to this. I truly enjoy uh, the work that you do, and I knew this conversation would be really fun and interesting. So thank you so much for your time this evening, and uh, keep doing the stuff you're doing. There's, uh, there's a lot of people out in the golf world who truly enjoy it. So truly an honor to have you on, Andy. Thanks so much, Jason. That was fun.